Behind the Herald Headlines with Darren Mann. Behind the Herald Headlines with Darren Mann, welcome to it. With the recent surge in police killings in Nelson Mandela Bay, those who swore to serve and protect are now fearing for their own lives. In just one week, two policemen were shot dead in separate incidents in Kabecha. Sergeant Kaelete Mbonyama, 42 years old, was gunned down in Motherwell on Sunday while sitting in his car, and court orderly Sergeant Mario Nell was killed with his own service pistol inside the Motherwell Magistrates Court on Wednesday of last week. What do we make of this? We're approaching the experts from the Anthropology of Crime Department at the University of the Orange Free State in Bloemfontein. Joining us now, Theodore Pietrus. Uh, yes, thanks a lot, Darren. So. The issues around the police are very complex because they seem to be walking a a tightrope where on the one hand, they need to contend with criminality, corruption, issues in leadership, and all of the other problems that I think most South Africans are already aware of happening in the police service, right from the top all the way down to the local branches. But on the other hand, they also have the duty and the mandate to address issues of safety and crime and protecting the citizens of the country. So they find themselves in a very complex situation. And I think the the issues around the killing of police officers, I think, adds just another layer of complexity to the to the already complex environment and context of policing in South Africa. And as we know, the police do find themselves having to deal with challenges both within and outside of the organization. And even in societies or in communities or in areas like we find in Nelson Mandela Bay, where there are huge problems with with gangsterism and organized crime and so forth, you do find that the police again find themselves in a very difficult space where there are those that are alleged to be in league with organized criminals and gangs, whereas there are those who are trying to investigate organized criminals and gangsters and then find themselves the targets of these of these criminal criminal groupings. And so I think that is really the, the context within which we need to try and understand this very concerning trend of the killing of police officers, not necessarily just in the in the Port Elizabeth or Kabeha area, but I think across the country as well. Have we reached a social tipping point of sorts? Because many of these factors appear to have been around for a number of years, but it's now that they seem to be coming to a head. What's caused that? Yes, I don't think we're really at a tipping point as yet, but we are very speedily heading towards one. I think we need to also contextualize a little bit further, not just focusing on what's happening with the police service itself, but I think also looking at the broader contextual factors that have been happening over the last few years, all of which are contributing to what one could perhaps call this social powder keg, where there are all of these underlying tensions happening in communities across the country. We know about the issues with with, um, delivery of services. We know about the issues around people taking the law into their own hands because they don't feel the police are doing a good enough job protecting them. We know about the problems of the the wider socioeconomic problems to do with um, unemployment and uh, all of these other factors that are playing. All of these things are contributing to this, this volcanic bubbling under the surface that's happening. And unfortunately, the police are in a situation where they need to, they need to somehow try and prevent this this pot from boiling over, 
And it's open to question as to how successful they are going to be to be able to do that, especially given what I've said previously about the challenges that they themselves are facing both within their ranks and then, of course, also from the outside. And then, of course, added to that also is that the police have not, that they've never really been able to shake the, the, um, the perception the public perception of them all the way from the apartheid days, where, as we will know, during the apartheid period, they were pretty much the the enforcement arm of the apartheid government, right? So they were used as a weapon, a tool by the apartheid government to suppress and oppress. And since then, from the 1990s onwards, with all of the efforts that were made by the government to try and transform the police, while some transformations may have happened on the surface, unfortunately, the the core of the police service still remains untransformed. And we know that there's this culture of secrecy within the police service, especially when it comes to officers that may be implicated or involved in, um, in nefarious activities. We also know that it is a very, a very closed sort of subculture within the, the police service. And, and all of these tend to, to create the impression, at least in the public eye, that the police are not to be trusted. Of course, adding fuel to that fire is when there are constant reports of police officers, even high-ranking police officials, that are implicated in corruption and criminality. So I think that is really where, both historically and in the present context, where and why the police find themselves in the situation that they are in at least in part. There are many other factors as well. Politics we cannot ignore because of the of the influence of, of the government and politicians in the police. Um, so all of these factors play a role. And, and we, we need to try and understand as many of them as possible so that we can get a more accurate, holistic picture of what's going on with the police and not just focusing exclusively on the police service itself. What does civil society make of this? Because you'd look at it and on the surface, you'd be going, well, if the police can't protect themselves and brazen criminals are attacking and killing them, what chance does the average man and woman in the street have? Yes, again, that's why the police the police find themselves in a cash 22. Because on the one hand, they, they are mandated to protect the public. And in order to do so, they, at least this is in theory, they are supposed to have been given a certain leeway in terms of what they have at their disposal to be able to carry out that mandate. Unfortunately, on the other hand, we also have civil society um, and even society at large for that matter, where whenever the police act in a, a an aggressive or a forceful way, mm. then they are often then criticized and accused of being overhanded and, um, you know, accused of police brutality and so forth. And so it becomes very difficult. And then, of course, you've got politicians as well. We know there are many examples that we can cite of politicians that have come out and said to the police, no, go ahead and just blast away. And so all of these things places a lot of pressure on on police officers where they're not really sure anymore of how exactly do they need to respond. I think it's very similar to what is happening in the United States, for instance, with the whole story around police and guns and all that kind of thing, where... You know, in certain instances, especially when it's a white police officer that is um, that is apprehending a, a, an African American suspect, um, those kinds of events tend to make the news headlines because then it becomes a racial thing. Mm. 
and then of course even more so if there's a death that happens as a result of that um, of that apprehension um so we seem to be heading in a similar direction here where the police officers are becoming so concerned about you know what could be the potential backlash if they were to respond with with force when trying to apprehend a suspect or deal with a criminal or an alleged criminal that you often find that in some cases they either decide not to get involved um, we know about what happens with uh, with mob justice situations where even if the police are there they don't get involved because they fear for their own safety um, and then of course there's then there's the other issue of um, where if they choose to get involved they now need to first think about you know what could be the likely consequences if i were to discharge my firearm yes and you know even perhaps kill this the suspect you know what happens to me after this because we know there's a whole process that they need to follow um after an event like that and in many cases they they are not always seen as the heroes in inverted commas um when they are involved in these kinds of situations so those are the i think the issues that that the officers are facing with this not really knowing what now is the adequate way to respond when dealing with uh, with suspects out in the uh, in the real world Theodore, before we take a look at what possible solutions might be and how civil society can assist with those an additional challenge that the South African police services seem to face, and many of these stories are anecdotal, granted, lack of manpower, lack of resources. Uh, everyone can tell you a story about contacting a police station and being told there isn't a vehicle available, but the police themselves often go into uh, contact or conflict situations where the, uh, where the bad guys outgun them. Well, that's the perennial problem, isn't it? So I said earlier about you know, some of the one of the contextual factors impacting negatively on the police service is, of course, what's going on in terms of the organizational culture of the police service. And it's not really isolated to, you know, one or two areas. This is like from the top all the way down. So all of these things have to do with the, the problems that are involved when it comes to the leadership, um, the, the organizational culture and development all the way to recruitment of of the right people to become part of the police service, um, training, all of these aspects form part of this of this wider organizational culture of the South African police service. But unfortunately, there are challenges in most, if not all, of these key areas. And as a result, those challenges that still remain unresolved are continuing to have a negative impact on these kinds of issues that we're talking about. So if these issues are not addressed, if the issues at the top leadership aren't addressed, if the issues around the the underlying organizational culture are not addressed, if the issues around the provision of resources that the police service requires to be able to perform their mandate adequately, if those issues are not addressed, it is of course going to translate into them not being able to do what they need to do when they're out on the streets. And I mean, even taking something as simple as recruiting the right people and training them in the right way, that can mean the difference between life and death, not only for the ordinary citizen out there who depends on a well-trained police officer to be able to perform their duties, but it can also mean the difference between life and death for the police officer, him or herself. 
And I think this is one of the reasons why we have this problem of police officers now simply very easily being able to be disarmed of their own service pistols or service weapons and then having their own weapons used against them and then the tragic consequences that result from that. Theodore, the issues that you've referred to that require resolving, from where I'm sitting, it seems there are no easy fixes. These are long-term fixes and structural um, repairs that are required. It's going to take a while. Between now and then, we're still sitting with a problem and the police are still sitting with this problem. Yes, that's correct. And I think the biggest mistake that anybody can make is to assume that this is something that we're going to be able to fix overnight. I don't think that um, that would be realistic at all. As I said earlier, the the issues in the police have been, have been coming on for quite a while. And uh, they have historical issues that they need to address. But then they also, of course, have new issues that have come after the, uh, the, the transformational efforts that have been made that still remain unresolved. And so these are the, the broader issues that need to be addressed. So it's going to require a holistic approach. And it's going to need to perhaps begin with fixing the leadership structures at the top, getting that in order, getting some kind of control over the influence of of politics and uh, the government. Of course, the that's going to be a tough one because obviously the police represents you know an arm of the government. Mm. But if you have a government where you've got corruption and all of those issues going on, and it's the same government that is able to determine and control what gets done within the country's police service, we've got a problem. And this is one of the reasons why I think we have a problem of corruption within the police service itself. It actually comes from what's going on in the top leadership and even in the government itself. Now, that might be an unpopular sentiment, but for me, that is a reflection of what is really happening out there. And so all of these things means that we can't just blame the police or just focus any efforts to try and 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 fix things within the police service itself we also need to look at the wider context within which the police service operates because they don't exist and work in a vacuum hmm. they are also made up of individuals that are members of the very same society that you and I belong to and so just as we are impacted by what is going on in society, they are impacted by it as well. But of course, they have the additional responsibility of not being able to use that as an excuse because now they need to be the ones to try and deal with those issues, even though those might be the same issues that they are dealing with or facing as well, as we all are. And so that's where the the why I say that holistic approach is going to be probably the best way to deal with it. And of course, understanding that it is going to take time. Now, there might be those that would be saying, well, look, we are now so many decades now into into the post-apartheid context, and we all are aware that since the mid-90s, the police was one of the first institutions to be targeted for transformation. Why are we still dealing with all of these issues now? But I think, as I said earlier, number one, the issues are very complex. And so it's probably going to take, just like with anything else in our society, where people might argue and say, but we've had a new government in place now for so long, but yet 
there are various problems that still remain unresolved. It all attests to just how complex trying to dismantle the damage that was done under the previous government in our institutions, our state institutions, and try to democratize them so that they become relevant for the new social context that we are in, that it is going to take a lot of time. These are not things that can be done overnight. It might take even a couple more decades, for all I know, before we can actually start to see any meaningful improvement. But I think that there are at least areas where the powers that be can at least start to to try and fix things. And I think one of the one of the perhaps fastest and simplest things that can be done is not necessarily to look at what needs to be fixed, but rather to stop doing the things that are just adding to the damage, right? Hmm. So dealing with things like corruption, dealing with things like fixing the uh, the resources that the police... I mean, every year we hear the Ministry of Police talking about that they need to cut the police's budget. Now, how in the world can you expect a functional police service to perform its mandate when you keep slashing the very resources that they need to be able to do that, right? So these are the kind of things that 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 people can do something about now. And even if it doesn't fix everything, it certainly will be able to, to go a long way towards starting to stem the, the, the negative impact that these things have been having on the police service for all of these years. So I think if we can maybe start there, then that could then perhaps set us on the right path towards eventually dealing with all of the other issues that I've mentioned as well. Any way that the community can contribute towards solutions, uh, partnering with the police in certain initiatives, uh, community police forums, and so on and so on. The danger, obviously, is that these are not trained people, but uh, any port in a storm. Yes. Well, I think that's that's another important important dimension to it. So we obviously know that the police does, they do require assistance from the communities because, I mean, they can't, they can't investigate crimes if they don't get assistance from the communities where they are doing their investigations. And so we know that police forums and, and these kinds of community-based organizations have been set up and, um, and they are there in order to provide that kind of assistance to the police. However, one of the challenges that has emerged, and this is why we have problems like vigilantism and um, and communities that ignore the police and take the law into their own hands to deal with crime. One of the issues is the breakdown in trust between communities and the police. And, and one of the reasons for this breakdown, as I've mentioned earlier, is because of the perceptions that the police either are incompetent or incapable of, of, of policing um, or protecting the people. Or secondly, when they are alleged to be themselves involved in criminal activities. So those issues, I think, need to be addressed first before we are going to be at a point where the communities will actually want to provide their assistance to the police. Even also very basic things like you mentioned before, where people go into a police station and they get treated in an unprofessional manner um, and all of those other very, very you know, difficult things that people have to deal with when they are in police stations. That Those are things that I think can be addressed fairly quickly because all of that comes down to very basic training around, you know, what we would call in the business world, you know, customer service, very basic stuff. So if they can maybe start to see themselves as, as providing a service because that's actually in the name itself, South African Police Service, 
then maybe that could then help them to to develop the the kind of attitude that is required when you are in in um, a kind of service business environment. And so the people are the customers, and they are providing the service. And so even if it is something as simple as um, you know completing an affidavit or or making a copy of somebody's ID document that they are requesting, whatever it is. You, as a police officer, you are providing a service, and the best way to to um, to get yourself into the good books of the community is in whatever way you are interacting with the public or with the community at large on a daily basis. To always try and put your best foot forward, and have the communities feel that they are actually being respected and that they are being taken seriously, because that is what is going to Start to, I think, reverse this perception and this trend of communities not really taking the police seriously at all. Yeah, it's a bit of an us and them man- mentality that we need to turn around. That's exactly it. Yes, that's exactly it, and that's often manifested even in situations like in my own research that I've done on gangs, for example, where there are instances where where people actually. The, from the community actually become hostile when police officers come in there yes. to uh, to investigate gangs or even to um, to raid homes that are suspected to be housing gangsters or at the very least to be hiding weapons that the gangsters are using. So then you find that people actually become very hostile towards the police to the point where they could even become violent. Right? So that is, is what you're saying, that us versus them kind of mentality that we need to address. And the only way we're going to do it is if both the police and the communities get to a point where they can find each other again. And it all starts with what I outlined earlier in terms of what the police need to do. And then, of course, the communities need to give them the chance to be able now to regain the trust that has been broken. 100%. Ultimately, we share a common destiny. From the Anthropology of Crime at the University of Free State, Theodore Petrus, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expert thoughts. No problem, Darren. Always a pleasure. Take it easy. That was today's edition of Behind the Herald Headlines with Darren Mann.